Alakata Wantok, you had a Kamlo Pacific waves from RNZ Pacific, Mikoroi Hawkins. Coming up today. Revenue has dropped, businesses suffered, science is one other business, and on top of that, we had the eruption and tsunami. We check in with the Tongan business community as the government announces a $9 million recovery package. Also, more calls are being made for investment in Pacific Health amid the pandemic. They do have multiple forms of disadvantage, and with infectious diseases, they really exploit disadvantage and inequalities. And we examine the slashing of Australian public broadcasting services in the Pacific on the eve of a potential revival of services to the region. What really happened is Australia's presence in the Pacific became a political football and victim to some of the things that the Australian Broadcasting Corporation is suffering. Tonga's government has announced a financial recovery package of over 9 million US dollars to help revive the country's economy. Already struggling with the impacts of the pandemic and previous national disasters, the kingdom took another double hit earlier this year with the volcanic eruption and tsunami followed by an outbreak of COVID-19. More than half of the government's recovery package comes in the form of development loans totaling 5 million US dollars. Eligible businesses in the agriculture, fisheries and tourism sectors are being offered up to US dollars per annum, whilst retailers and wholesalers can access just under US dollars per annum. The Tonga Chamber of Commerce President Sam Vea says that many businesses wanted stronger assistance from the government, such as cash injections, subsidies on bank loans and a reduction on utility costs. He told RNZ Pacific reporter Finau Funua, Tongan businesses have been put through the ringer. You know, uh, we've been going through this since the, the lockdown of the border back in March 2020. And revenue has dropped. Businesses suffered. Some just went out of business. Some reached into their um, uh, savings to help uh, with their operation. And now it's been two years. And on top of that, we had the, the uh, eruption and, and tsunami. So we we are suffering, uh, the businesses. Uh, first, from that revenue drop from from closing down the borders. Uh, we are asking for, for a lot of things. Uh, a lot of businesses would like a cash uh, injection into the economy, which is be nice if it comes to them. Um, they they also need a um, uh, subsidies on their loan uh, interest from the banks. Um, they also would like a a reduction on the cost of uh, utilities. Um, there are a few things out there that they they need, and then I think government is trying to address that uh, by putting out these uh, assistance for the for the businesses. How many businesses are you aware of that um that have closed? I I don't have a number for that, uh, but I can tell you this: the uh, MRPF or the National Retirement Board uh, Fund, uh, the payout to businesses or to employees as they were laid off um, from uh, 2019, 2020, and uh, 2020, 2021 was 27 percent more than what they paid out from 2012 up to 2018, and 
we we look at, at, at numbers that the businesses are shut down. Some of them just went up and started a little small business because they, 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 they can't find a job, but they can run a little barbecue service and, and, and a few other things. Uh, somehow, based on what the Ministry of the Trade, that the number of businesses that they knew register is going up. Uh, and, and that we think it's because of them being laid off and trying to start something on their own. The economic outlook for Tonga um, with this lockdown and the border closure it's, is really affecting business. Do you think it needs to, to end soon? You know, I would like for the borders to open, but then we have to rely on health, on, on the Ministry of Health and, and government to decide on that part. Um, that's why we're pushing on, uh, on the government to assist us if, if they're going to close it up for the for for health reasons. Then maybe they can assist us on the side because of the the revenue that we're losing, and of course tax we're paying, and that's dropping down as well. And do do we need something to stay on and survive? Uh, hence, this this uh, new assistance from government. Hopefully soon they'll open the border and things will be back to normal or a new normal. But I know we will survive. We survive this and we'll be back to normal. A leading New Zealand epidemiologist is calling for serious investment into Pacific Health Services and Housing. Professor Michael Baker says healthy homes reduce the risks of poor health outcomes. He's been working with Otago University's Hekanga Oranga Housing and Health Research Program for more than 20 years. Dr. Baker told INZ Pacific reporter Lydia Lewis, current social inequalities Pacific communities face are unacceptable, especially because COVID-19 exploits disadvantage. Well, look, if we're looking at um, the risk of this infection for Maori and Pacifica in particular, and also people uh, in living in low-income communities, they do have multiple forms of disadvantage, and with infectious diseases, they really exploit disadvantage and inequalities. We've seen that uh, really historically and right up to now. And whether you're looking at just the background level of what we call endemic infections that we have to put up with, pneumonias and skin infections and meningitis, uh, rheumatic fever, they are all, even though they're with us all the time, they have a big social an ethnic gradient with much higher rates for Maori and Pacifica, and that's been an established pattern for decades that we need to address. But those same inequalities just recur as soon as you get a pandemic disease, and the gradient is very similar to what we see. And so we really do have to address those determinants that are, uh, are lo- have locked us into these really unacceptable social inequalities. What? relation does housing have and overcrowded homes have with people spreading the virus? Basically, there's going to be a lot more transmission in households if you have a big family and a, a small house and not enough room. It's also going to be very hard for people to self-isolate in that setting. And we do know that the highest risk of transmission is actually inside households. And again, I don't think we've been particularly... Um, proactive um, with how we've managed schools. We've largely kept schools open even when transmission has been very intense. So larger families with with lots of 
children of school age will be quite exposed to this virus. So all these different factors just drive some of the principacy in, in the risk of infection. And when we're seeing families that contract, you know, Delta, which, and they had a really rough time with that, actually, despite being vaccinated, it was really awful for their family. They, just to get over it, and then a short time later to then uh, be infected by Omicron, which wasn't as tough, but they were, you know, they still had to take time off work, um, you know, still had symptoms. What can we do here and why are they getting infected, you know, every time a new variant pops up? Well, there's other things also going on. And the Omicron variant is good at evading prior infection and immunity uh, and also uh, the effects of, of um, just having one or two doses of vaccine. So the reason that it's become dominant across the globe is what we call breakthrough infection. And we now, we now know that our definition of fully vaccinated needs to be three doses of vaccine with Omicron. And it's taken a while, I think, for that idea to sink in. The other thing is we still don't know how good infection with Omicron will be at preventing you getting reinfected in a few months' time because of the problem of waning immunity. So it's still early days, but the, the point is that as the virus changes, we have to change our response to keep ahead of it. And when you say move quickly, is it important to get the infrastructure in place among these vulnerable communities, and particularly obviously I'm speaking about Pacifica communities here, to be able to cope with this? Because at the moment we've got health workers, which you will know, working from dawn to dusk, seven days a week, no day off, which really may not be sustainable. Yeah, look, I, I think that is a, a real problem, that burnout in our healthcare workers who are doing a fantastic job, but it is asking the impossible. And the other thing, of course, that is going on is that people themselves are getting sick at work or getting sick with Omicron, and family members are getting sick who they have to look after at home. So that's taking people out of the workforce. So, yeah, look, it's, um, there's multiple problems there that need to be addressed. Australian public broadcasting in the Pacific was once very extensive, but over the past seven or eight years, funds were slashed and services disappeared. There has been something of a comeback in the past couple of years, and now a federal parliamentary committee has recommended a reinvigorated Radio Australia and greater television and digital content in the Pacific. One of the groups that is keen to see Australia expand its Pacific involvement is the Australia Asia Pacific Media Initiative. Don Wiseman asked spokesperson Jemima Garrett about the possible changes, but began by casting back to when those drastic cuts were made. What really happened is Australia's presence in the Pacific became a political football and victim to some of the things that the Australian Broadcasting Corporation is suffering. So it did experience huge cuts, as you say. So we lost all the staff of English-speaking programs other than those in news and current affairs, uh, and we lost bespoke television, uh, news bulletins, a whole raft of things, including a lot of fabulous and incredibly experienced staff. I think what we've seen, though, since that point, which was 2014 and 2017, which I guess is when the ABC turned off its shortwave transmitters, I guess since 2018, we've seen them really re-engage. And I'd say now 
We've seen a whole lot of new programs, for instance, like Sisters Let's Talk, uh, for which has been very popular for Melanesia and some of the sport programs. I think the problem is, though, that they're still going on the um, Tony Abbott coalition level of funding cuts that was um, started back in 2014. Your organisation, now you're representing an interest group, you have been pushing for a far greater involvement. Yes. So we're an interesting interest group in that we bring together some very high profile experts and former media executives, such as, um, you know, someone who's been Vice President Asia Pacific for CNN, Sean Dorney, the former Pacific correspondent um, for Radio Australia, and Maria Keefe, the former Deputy Director General of AusAid. And I guess all of us felt that, you know, media is an important democratic institution and that Australia was really falling down on the job. So our big pitch is really for Australia's media voice in the region to be basically reinstated, but to do that on an innovative new model that would very much involve talking with and not to the region and would be focused on joint content creation and co-productions of original material. This would both assist the Pacific media to continue to exist in their own right, but it would also mean that Australia got over that old school thing of being a bit paternalistic because Australia would be engaged in a very equal discussion with the Pacific. So it would really be a win-win for both sides. Australians would see a lot more Pacific material and Pacific media would have access to the money for the co-pros that would enable them to provide a lot more material, not just to Australia and probably New Zealand, but uh, these would be things that would be seen globally. Would it mean a restoration of shortwave radio? Look, that's something that needs to be considered because there is an audience in very remote areas for which there are still few options. And yes, mobile phone technology is expanding dramatically. I mean, we've been lobbying now for four years and we've just had an Australian Parliamentary Committee bring down some pretty good recommendations, but we're not there yet. So I think really the technology is the last piece of the puzzle. What we need to look at is who are the audience that we want to be conversing with? What sort of programs do they want to make and see and be involved in a conversation with us? And then we look at, well, now we've looked at that, what's the right way to get to them? And that's where multi-platform comes in. You know, all media organisations are going to a whole range of platforms, whether it be radio under different technologies, television, or um, various different social media and online platforms. And I guess once the moment came when we had sufficient funding, that's when you'd look at the technology issue, but certainly shortwave needs to be considered. There have been suggestions in the recent past of sending a lot of Australian television neighbours and so on to the Pacific. Presumably, you wouldn't want that. Well, certainly, and in the Australian budget, I note that the government has funded that to the tune of $5.7 million, um, a new round of funding, which I guess is probably a year's work. Look, I think the most important thing is that Australia has an overall policy that listens to what the region wants. And Overall, um, some of that material, perhaps um, not neighbours and border security, has been popular and um, possibly would be part of it. But really, the thing that the Pacific's always asked for is 
the high quality public interest media. So everything from joint content creation on news and current affairs through to documentaries, culture, you know, there's a whole raft of um, scientific issues that could be being done here. That's generally the sort of work that um, say the ABC or special broadcasting service or even national indigenous television which have some very interesting programs that they could be doing so i think that's what the pacific has been telling us that they want in any case now you've mentioned this report that's just gone to parliament and it has got some very far-reaching suggestions in it hasn't it how likely do you think it is that parliament will sit down and seriously consider this Well, look, the whole pitch of our group, the Australia-Asia-Pacific Media Initiative, has been to try and make this a bipartisan issue because it's become, as I said, a political football. And essentially, if you're going to have a conversation with the region, it needs to be ongoing and it needs not to get chopped every time there's a change of government. So I think the good thing is, is that these committee's recommendations are bipartisan. So it's recommended expanding the provision of Australian public and commercial television and digital content across the Pacific, and that includes that neighbour's stream that you were talking about. It's recommended reinvigorating Radio Australia. And the really interesting one is that it says that the government should consider a new Australian International Media Corporation. And this is very much something that our group has been suggesting. Graham DeBell, who's the media fellow at Aspie, actually came up with this idea. It would be a subsidiary of the ABC, but bringing in all of Australia's media, including Pacifica diaspora media. And then the thing I guess that I'm disappointed about is while they've got that far and they have said that they will do this all in consultation with the Pacific, they haven't mentioned that idea of the model based around copros. So that seems to me to be the 21st century thing to be doing. Um, they haven't quite got that far, but it'll be good to see um, after the election whether Labor or the coalition wins, um, whether it'll be taken up. And I think generally there is quite a bit of support on both sides of politics, but we are still suffering from the fact that the ABC, there are quite a few people in the coalition who really detest the ABC and that the ABC needs to be a part of this, whether it's a larger or a smaller part. And so that's sort of creating, I guess, the barrier to doing something about this. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. More there, Manda. 